right, right oh away. Oh my gosh, that's we great. are so coming back tomorrow night. <laughs> if that's an applause, we will be here all, all till midnight tomorrow night. You guys are amazing. Um, we also love this series that uh, you're doing, Lies About Love. Um, love matters and lies have big impacts. Um, in John 8, there's a pretty well-known verse where Jesus is going to talk about the truth. And it's interesting because in John 8, 32, he's talking to some Jewish believers and they believe him. Um, and he goes, well, now that you believe me, if you'll become my disciples, if you'll become my followers, you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Mm-hmm. And their response maybe is like ours. They go, but we're not slaves. Mm-hmm. Why is Jesus offering us freedom? They go, we're not slaves and neither were our fathers. Why would you offer us freedom when we're already free? And the reality is that lies steal our freedom. Yeah. And they do it in a way that we don't even know. Mm-hmm. They pick our pocket. They take it away. They comfort us, and then they start to control us and capture, and then they begin to, in the end, consume us. And so Jesus is offering them more, and he's offering us more too. Uh, And the offer is to come into full freedom. Um, And that means to come all the way into the truth and, and to be able to experience that Christ has more for us in this area and in all areas of our lives. And we want all the more that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we're going to look at that together through this morning. We're very privileged to uh, talk to you about lies about love. Yeah. The truth is um, there's this place inside of us that's trying to figure out relationships, all relationships, um, inside of marriage and with our kids and with our parents, with our friends. And um, I love a good recipe, I love, uh, I love to bake. I love to cook meals for people. I love having people sit at our table. So I love a good recipe. And it's interesting when you get a recipe. When you get a recipe, there's usually these steps that you go through. And it's on purpose that they give you the steps. They don't say when you make chocolate chip cookies to start blending the butter with the flour. It says start blending the sugar with the butter instead. And there's a reason why that is, because if you start in a wrong point with the recipe, you end up with something that's not as good. And the truth is, we will never get past the starting point if the starting point is us, when we look at relationships. If we start with us and what we're bringing inside of the relationship, if we start with that, we will never get past the starting point. A 50-50 relationship When you come into an agreement and you go, you bring your 50, it'd be like measuring one another. It's agreeing, like I'm bringing my cup and you're bringing your cup. Are you bringing your cup? And it's this place when you have a 50-50 agreement like that, we end up in some kind of lie about contribution. And we end up looking and measuring and staring at both ourselves and then the other person. We stare to see, what are you doing? What am I bringing, Right? And this staring is a, is a problem. And staring goes all the way back. Like if you look at what Jesus, when he comes to the paralytic who's by the pool, the paralytic is staring at what he thinks will bring him life. He's staring at the pool. And he's going, I'm certain that that's what will bring me life. And Jesus has this whole different kind of way. He goes, actually, I need you to look at me before you look at that. 
And when we come to marriage relationships, if we're staring at ourselves or staring at another person, if we're staring at our spouse, we'll end up in this place where we will be measuring. And measuring always ends up being in this place of fairness. After your kids, after our kids learn to say mommy and daddy, pretty quickly, they learn to say this phrase, it's not fair, right? Pretty quickly, they learn how to say it's not fair because fairness has, fairness at its roots has this place of comparison, competition, looking and seeing, scarcity, right? And fairness is very different than love. The invitation to our relationship has to start with love instead of fairness. 50-50 measures and looks across. And love has generosity. Love has room. Love has this place where we can see something bigger than ourselves or our partner. There's a place inside of us that wants to see beyond that. But it's really easy that once you get into relationships, that we start measuring what you're doing, what we're doing, and what the other person is doing as well. And there's a place in 1 Peter um, 4, 8, and 9 that it says this, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's this place that God invites us into a bigger space than what we can bring. Yeah, there's a little bit of a... um it's probably just me, but I tend to keep track of all the good things I do. Anybody else? I'm just a sinner. Like I loaded the dishwasher three times this week. Um, I took the trash out five times this week. Um, I find that men don't keep track of anything, but if they empty the dishwasher or take out the trash or walk the dog, it locks in their brain. You know, it's a gift. Um, but uh, I would say that that comparison is then just ourselves. It's just ourselves, right? And so if we have each other as a comparison, go, where should we go? Now we're taking a vote on where we should go. If we don't have an external reference point, Mm -hmm. if we don't have an external reference point in our relationship, we're just arguing about right and wrong, fair and unfair, without an external reference point, right? And marriage can be hard to navigate. It can be kind of one of those landscapes, a, a desert, an ocean, a very wide prairie. Outside Magazine did some interesting um research or writing about what happens when you put people in a landscape where there are no landmarks. You put people in a wide plain, you put people in a desert area, and there's no landmarks, there's no outside reference point. And here's what they found, is that when you put people in that kind of landscape, and they put little trackers on them, not so they could navigate, but they could just see where they would go, what do you suppose happens to people? And here's, here's the directions they give. Walk straight for the next several hours. There's no landmarks. And they let them go. What do they do? Pretty simple, right? Walk straight, right? Here's the funny thing. None of them were able to walk straight. You know why? There wasn't a reference point. And a funny thing about our brains is that if there's not a reference point, we do a little slight veer to the right. And if you look what they actually did, they walked and they're slowly leaning right. And as they slowly lean right, they walked in a really big circle. Humans walk in circles without outside reference points. Mm -hmm. If we're each other's reference point, that is not a reference point. The North Star is a reference point. 
the whole star system moves, but not the North Star. If we only have each other as a reference point, it's not enough. We will walk in circles and we'll be going, how did we get back here again? Has anyone else ever gotten back there again for the hundredth time (laughs) on something silly? Because we don't have that outside reference. It's not enough to start with us. It's not enough that that we're going to figure it out. Uh, That kind of arrangement uh, puts us on these loops and they're not very life-giving. Yeah. The truth is when we start to put the relationship of a marriage or any relationship really for that matter on us, we can feel that the weight of that crushes it. The only person who can handle the weight of our relationship, what God has put together is God. If we put it on the other person, if we put it on ourselves, we end up striving and comparing and we end end up in this less than position. The weight can be handled by God, not us. Because that's how he starts things. He goes, this is where I want you to start. Our relationship with Christ starts with him because we know he came to save us. We're very aware of that. Yeah. It's the same truth inside of our marriage. Yeah. We have this reference point with God that we go, we have to start with God and ask him what he thinks. Ask him to give us his mind and his perspective and his will. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have, uh, when our um, oldest daughter, who's much older, she's, she's now just moved to Denver. Let me have a moment. I don't know how that happened because like three years ago, she was five. Um, and she came home from school one day at five and this little boy had a crush on her quietly, but not so quietly. Girls sit on this side of the table or on this side of the cafeteria, boys sit on this side. And this little boy who's had a crush on my five-year-old little daughter, one day, Emma picks up her lunchbox, walks over and sits down at the girl's table right next to Emma. Major protocol break. All the boys on this side, all the girls. And he takes his little Spider-Man lunchbox and he goes and sits down right next to Emma and he stares at her and everyone's going... What is, I never remember his name. What's his name? Luke. 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 I blocked it out. So um, (laughs) Luke is sitting there staring at Emma and kind of in this out of control place. Then he just in this moment of everyone looking just goes, I love Emma. He just blurts it out. I mean, it just comes screaming out of him. All the girls erupt. All the guys groan. I mean, the cafeteria is pandemonium. The lady has to come and square it all out. And you know, and Renee tells me about it. I come home, I've, I've spent this long day. I get home, she tells me about it. And I go, well, I better go follow up with Emma. So I go and I go, Emma, she's five. I go, I heard about the cafeteria today. She goes, dad, we're just going to be friends. <laughs> All right, well, I was going to give you some godly advice, or right? And I go, well, Emma, someday, Emma, that's good that you and Luke are squared away. Um, but someday there'll be a guy in your life who's going to maybe really, really want to be with you. And here's the thing, Emma, if he wants to be with you, if he would want to marry you, he's got to love you more than anything else. Do you understand? You understand, you know, how important he's just got to love you more than anything. She goes, yeah, yeah, dad. She goes, actually, I think he, he needs to love Jesus a little bit more than me. Right? (laughs) That's right. I was testing you, Emma. I'm a very smart man. I was testing you. Oh my gosh. Emma goes, if this knucklehead guy loves Jesus more than me, I'll be fine. If he loves me more than anything, no bueno. I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not an outsider. I'm, I'm a really cute five-year-old little girl. 
I don't think I'll be enough. And she's right, right? If he loves Jesus a little bit more than her, she'll be okay. And I would say that's always true for us. We're not enough for ourselves or each other. We have someone who is. If we love him, we'll figure this out. Yeah, we call that Emma's rule Um, because it's a good start, right? But really, Emma's rule comes from the origin of what the Bible says, which the Bible starts and it says in Genesis that there's this blending that God wants to do in our oneness. And he set it up in this way where he goes, it's not a 50-50 relationship. That was never intended or implied. There's this place, Tim Keller says this about the Bible, the gospel is not true because it works. Lots of things work for a while. It works because it's true. What is true is that we need to depend and we're asking God to help us in the blending. What is true is we can't be blended unless God is right in the middle of it. We need God in the mix. Once we find each other, if we say, that's great, thank you, God, you gave me someone, God never set it up that way. He said, I want to be in the mix and the blending with you. As I blend the two of you, as you're in relationship, if you're dependent on me, if you love me more than these things or these people, something different will happen, and it'll be for your good. And God brings us into this one flesh relationship and says, I have a place for you to be blended and to cooperate with me as you do. And every marriage as we grow has different seasons where the blending is different. At the beginning, it's different than when you're 20 years in, than when you're 40 years in, because there's different things. And the truth is God is transforming us as we grow. We become new and different people, and we get to be with that other person as we're with them. We see the goodness of what God is doing inside of them. But if we exit stage, if we don't include God, we don't go back to saying, I need to be before the Lord as I struggle with this in front of you or with you, then something different will happen for us. Yeah. Yeah, Genesis 2.24 is that first wedding, which was a clothing optional event, by the way. You come, like you just come as you are, right? Um, Well, sometimes in our marriage things to kind of go, we're all broken. If you don't think you're broken, that's your brokenness. So congratulations. But we're all broken. We just go, well, you know what? Bring your own brokenness, B-Y-O-B, right? Um, Just bring it, right? You come as you are. We're exposed, It's all that we're exposed to ourselves and each other and God, and it's good. God calls it good when we can be that exposed. We don't have to hide or cover up or kind of point out. We had that kind of freedom in the beginning. When God set up marriage, there wasn't any shame. It was all freedom. It was all joy. We could be naked. We could be exposed because there wasn't anything we had to pretend. He still wants that. He's never changed his mind. He would still like us to be that free, that exposed, and that available. He's not changing his mind about it. He's just inviting us. What would it look like if we participated in that? Okay, Um, line number two. Um, Marriage is not a 50-50 relationship because marriage is not a math problem. Marriage is not a math problem. If you don't like math, uh, praise God. Um, (laughs) It is not a math problem, right? If it's a math problem, if it's 50-50, that's a contract right? Um, I'm going to bring 50. You're going to bring 50. If we have a contract, we have to have some kind of emotional accounting system. Did you bring your 50? Because by my records, I'm at 63%. 
And we have to start, if it's 50-50 and this is a contract, we have to start keeping track. We have to keep track of our contribution and yours, and we got to reconcile it. And we got to see if our marriage checkbook balances. And we got to keep all that in our heads and all that in our hearts as we are living out this relationship. And that is pretty exhausting. And by the way, it doesn't work very well um, because I have a checkbook that's different than Renee's checkbook. And I put all kinds of entries for things I do. And again, I'm probably the only one. I'm sure none of you guys do. Uh, So we go to balance our checkbooks to go, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I made like $5,000 of deposit in your account this month. What do you show? Uh, That kind of math problem, accounting, contractual stuff, doesn't open us up um, to anything life-giving. Yeah. We get to do all kinds of marriage work, and we have found that when people come in, that they have kept track. Because really, a lot of our phones and social media have done this to us. We're keeping track. We're keeping track of who we are and what we have and what we get to do. And it's easy in our system, in our sinful system, to do that. We've had people come in and they're like, we have a spreadsheet of how much free time we each get. Literally, we've had this happen. Where someone has come in and gone, they get this much free time and I get this much free time. We're like, okay, let's put the spreadsheets away for just a little bit, right? (laughs) This is a different, that's a math problem, right? Where you go, we're trying to even things out. The truth is a marriage is not a contract because that will need compensation and an accounting system. Marriage is a covenant relationship that God designed. When we go back to contracts, we're really going back to what the Pharisees did. They were big on keeping track. They were good on putting GPSs on things. (laughs) They were wondering, like, why Jesus was doing what he was doing. Like, you did this and you didn't do this. They were keeping track all the time. And he was always trying to break that down for people going, no, this is a relationship that's a covenant. And in the end, I will call you friend because that is what you are. God designs this one flesh relationship in this way where we're up close and personal. And maybe what you didn't know before you got married, you find out afterwards and you're surprised by. And some of us are surprised by what we find out about us because that is what God is up to. And some of us are surprised what we find in our spouse. But the truth is, God would only be revealing those things for healing, not for condemnation. Because he is the person who brings freedom and truth and grace and consideration and love and humility to our relationship. If we're doing this contract relationship, the covenant requires all of who we are because the truth is, God gave us all of who he is. When we come into our marriage relationship, he says, you can receive all of who I am as you go into this covenant, all of who I am. But there are days when we need to be reminded of his kindness, of his grace, of his mercy, of the places of love, because love maybe hasn't gotten all the way into places inside of our heart. But God says, I'm not holding back. I'm not holding back from you. I don't give you 50 I give you 100. And as we come into a marriage relationship, he goes, and as you come to this, you will need my 100 to be in this relationship with the other person. Yeah. Um, That 50-50 thing on paper sounds fair, but in reality, it doesn't function. 
Um, John Gottman um, has been doing marriage research up in the Northwest for the last 30 years. He has lots and lots of great resources. I would recommend him as just understanding marriage. But one of the things <clears throat> he began with was uh, he would invite couples up into his love, love lab and he would film them for 15 minutes and he would watch sort of a conversation by conversation what happened. And then he started tracking like what kinds of things build relationships and what kinds of things do not. Uh, he ended up writing in one of his books he called The Four Horsemen that destroy relationships. And he would watch couples. And the number one thing that, that really tears relationship up, he goes, if they're talking and you hear criticism in their voice, um, that is, that's one of the horsemen that will really over time, not in a day, not in a week, not in a month, but criticism will really tear up a relationship, right? Um, and the second one that he said was like contempt. Like if someone goes, oh, please roll your eye, exhale, all that, that kind of dismissive, compassive, right? Um, and then he said defensiveness would really shut things down. And then if you got defensive, and then just kind of withholding. So he identifies these four horsemen. In some research, he predicts divorce at a level of 94% based on those things being in it. And John Gottman is great. Here's the thing. He doesn't have an antidote to that. Mm-hmm. He says, don't do that. It's relational cancer. Paul gives us an antidote. A few thousand years ago, in Ephesians 4.32, Paul gives us an antidote. um, And what he says in 4.32 is be kind to one another. Um, Kindness is the opposite of criticism. Um, To be kind to one another. Um, um, Tender-hearted or compassionate is the opposite of contempt. Right? To forgive one another rather than to get defensive. Uh, because we've been forgiven too. So don't withdraw and shut down on the relationship. We're broken and we've been forgiven. Paul gives an antidote to what John Gottman would identify is the primary destroyers of marriage a few thousand years before the love lab existed. And I would say it's a pretty good antidote. Uh, Paul writes Ephesians 4.32 just before we get into the chapter, which is the longest section in scripture about marriage. And I, I think it's a good introduction to go, these prerequisites will give you a foundation that's probably going to be sustainable and life-giving. Yeah. It's interesting about this particular scripture is right before this, Paul goes through this list of going, get rid of. And if you kind of look at things in the Bible, both with Jesus' words and with things that Paul said, he says, get out so you can get in. So there's this exercise of going, you need to get rid of it, and then you need to put these on. Be kind-hearted. If you try and put kind-hearted on while you're being critical, it won't work. So he says, hey, get rid of these things so that you can move into a place where you can receive compassion for one another, forgiveness for one another. Move those out, but also move in these things as well. Yeah, it's uh, at the end of those long verses in Ephesians 5, and if you haven't read Ephesians 5, I'd recommend because Paul really lays out a very good picture. But at the end... Right after he quotes Genesis 2.24, the original passage that Jesus quoted and that is in, the, is in Genesis, and Paul quotes it too about leaving and cleaving, he says this, but this is a profound mystery. Now, I remember reading that and going, you know, Paul, you're not encouraging me um, because marriage seems a little confusing to me. You wrote most of the New Testament. You went to the third level of heaven. You did a bunch of really cool things, and you're going, yeah, marriage, yeah. <laughs> 
Kind of a profound mystery. Profound is like mega, awesome, ginormous mystery. And here's what the word mystery means in Greek. Um, Hidden purpose. It doesn't mean nonsensical. Um, It doesn't mean random. God said, I have a hidden purpose in your relationship with one another. A big hidden purpose. And you probably won't, as a matter of fact, you will not understand all of what I'm doing. So I just want to tell you on the front end, I am up to more than you know. And a mystery isn't something you solve. It's a mystery isn't something, it's you enter it and you go, God's doing more than I can see. This isn't done yet. I don't know why. I don't have satisfying answers, but I know God has told me, I'm not showing you everything I'm up to. I'm asking you to believe me. I'm asking you to believe I'm doing more than you can see. That's a big ask, but I think it comes from a very reliable source, and we can say yes to that. Yeah. And the truth is, a 50-50 relationship ends up being us as the end point. And the Bible talks about marriage as one of the great things that God has created, but it's not an end point. Yeah. Marriage is intended to go beyond us. It is not supposed to be an idol. It's supposed to be cherished and loved and looked at and considered. All of that is a part of what the Lord is up to. But it's not supposed to be the end point. The only people benefiting from that type of arrangement in 50-50 are the people inside of the relationship. Yeah. But God actually says, marriage is my mini church, which will be an expression to the world of the goodness of me. It is supposed to show the world, right? But there's no pressure on us for that because God is the one doing it. He's the one who's loving us so we can love our differences. He's the one who's showing up when we can't figure out how to do it. That's a good prayer, by the way, to say, here we are. We don't know what to do. Can you help us, God? Yes. God honors that prayer when we don't know what to do. When we're in the mysterious place where we go, wow, it seems like you are showing up and I'm showing up and we don't know what to do. We need the Lord. And the truth is the fruit of our goodness of what happens between us and our relationship, the fruit of our relationship is never intended for us. It's intended for others. Because if you think about, we have a lemon tree in the back of our yard. The fruit on the tree is not for the tree. The fruit on the tree is for everyone else to come and pick it and enjoy the lemon. The fruit of our relationship goes beyond our own marriage, our own kids. It's an expression to the world about how the Lord can do great and kind things inside of our relationship. Yeah, there's, um, when Renee was pregnant with Emma, who's now 23 years old, 24? Oh my gosh, she's 24. (laughs) You guys, I think you fell behind. That's my daughter. She's 20. Is she really? She just turned. God. Okay. Sorry. I just had a moment. Um, When you were pregnant with her, um, Renee got to go with a group of women. They went to the Middle East. They went to Jerusalem. It was amazing. 12-day tour. It was fantastic. You couldn't go into the Dead Sea because the Dead Sea is six times saltier than the ocean. And although you float, uh, you don't want to have anything living with you because that level will kill everything. Matter of fact, everything in the Dead Sea is dead. There's no plants, there's no fish, nothing. It's the deepest, coldest, biggest body of water in the Middle East, and it's completely dead. Now, if you follow the uh, out of coming back up out of the Dead Sea, 
the Jordan River flows into it. The Jordan River, 13 miles, flows out of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee has been a productive fishery since 5,000 BC. They harvested 13 million pounds of tilapia there in 2015. It is full, vibrant. Uh, There's plant life. There's animal life. It's surrounded. It has been a commercial fishery for thousands and thousands of years. The river that flows into, the Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee. It's incredibly violent, and it flows out. The only difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea is the Sea of Galilee has an output. Something flows in, there's great life, and something flows out. And I would say, if you and I are receiving what God has for us, and we're releasing what God has for us, we're going to be incredibly vibrant. We're going to be incredibly fruitful. We're going to be alive. Um, It's only when we become reservoirs rather than rivers that we start to die. If you're the end point of your life, you're not enough. I don't want to offend you. Well, I'll take that back. I do want to offend you a little bit. (laughs) If you're the end point of your life, it won't be enough. You'll get cold and deep and dead and you'll kill things that get around you. Like there are fish. I'm starting to preach. There are fish that come down the Jordan River and within 30 minutes of the Dead Sea, they're dead from entering it, right? We're called to more. It's a good invitation that, that we see past ourselves and all the goodness is released. Jesus goes, if you, if you lose your life, you'll find it, man. You'll find a big, good life. Don't hold on. Let it go. Sorry, I preached. That's good. All right. Because the truth is, Jesus talks about this in John 4, that he says, the living water is intended to go in us and pool and begin to spring up and flow out. That's the living water. He says, I have goodness. When it flows into you and flows back out, you actually will be blessed by it. You'll be blessed because it comes into you and flows right out of you. And God has this way of not measuring, right? And not keeping track because he goes, I'm going to give you all the life that you need. God, God does not take himself out of the equation of our marriage on purpose because he knows that we need the living water. He knows that we need a drink when we're thirsty. He knows those places where he goes, hey, if you receive that, and you release that, it'll bless you. But it takes this posture of both receiving, being in place where you go, I need to receive from God because I don't have enough. I'm out. And when I receive, I can actually release back into our marriage relationship. I can release to friends. I can release to people at church. I can release at work. But it's this posture of both receiving and releasing Uh, When we do marriage events, marriage weekends, we always like to give everyone that comes certificates of incompletion. And we put their names on them and they can put them on the wall and they go, hey, so we've spent the weekend, we've talked about this, please go home and hang this prominently somewhere. Uh, The people walk up and go, oh, what is that? It's the certificate of incompletion. Oh, did something go wrong? Um, No, we're just not done yet. We're not done yet. We're figuring it out. We're working it out. We're practicing. We're tripping. We're getting back up. We continue. We're invited into into practice and posture and kindness. And it doesn't need to be perfect. It won't be. 
It can be messy, but we're going to keep figuring it out. And we're going to keep coming back to the life-giving things. You know what? That turns out to be a good gig. That turns out to be going, oh my gosh, we don't have to be perfect. We can be connected. We can, we can love. And I would say that kind of invitation, I think, is what the Bible is inviting us into. And it works when we let it have its way. Yeah, and we'd love to have you come and be with us tomorrow night. What we're going to talk about is the idea of we all have places where we self-protect and are defensive. And the Lord has this way of taking that out so that we can actually go all the way through. And the truth is God wants us all the way through in our marriage relationship. He's committed to our covenant with him. He's telling us it's not a math problem. And he's also saying, we are not the starting point. We have to start with him. So we're praying that we stay in that kind of place. So could we pray for us, pray for those things inside of our heart as we wrap up our time here? Could we pray? Maybe just ask God what in this message that you need from him. What places are you asking him for a drink of water? What places are you asking him to make it not about you? What places is he asking you to release yourself? Is there a place where you need to forgive and not hold on to bitterness or resentment? What places are you confused? And he said, enter into my mystery. So we do ask God that you would help us to remove and receive. We ask God that you would help us to be in a posture where we would sense your goodness and mercy. We pray this because we believe you and you're the source. You're the source of all the things we've talked about today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.